What's up and welcome into the lead block. Happy Tuesday, everybody. My name is Tyler Walters alongside Matthew Anderson. Matthew, how you doing? Doing good, man. All right, we're back on a Tuesday. A little schedule change for you. Usually we're out on the Monday. Late, late uh, schedule change, but Had to we're switch here. it up on you. Yeah, that's all good. Uh, we're here with a packed show today. Before we get started, make sure you're following the lead block on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. Uh, Matthew at Matt the Chosen One with the number one. And myself at Tyler Walter CNR, um, and we'll start right with kind of I think that's where we left off Friday with uh, South Carolina's baseball series over Clemson. We, we didn't get to some stuff Friday that we wanted to. I toss it at the end of the day. Okay, uh, maybe we can mention it real quick if we get time. So but, for um, the South Carolina baseball game on Friday night, South Carolina lost, and that was right here at uh, yeah, this was at Founders Park Friday. Lost with the final score one to seven. Yeah, so they. Friday night, I watched, so I missed Saturday and Sunday, actually. Uh, I went back to the low country this weekend. Friday night, I watched pretty much the whole game, I think. Um, and I, I tried to keep up with it on my phone as much as I could over the weekend. But Friday night, uh, Carmen Lujenski, who's South Carolina's ace, pitched very well up to Friday night in, in his first two appearances. Had a lot of scouts out to scout him and uh, Clemson's starting pitcher, which I didn't write the name. I can't remember the kid's name, but uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of guys out to scout Majinski, um Friday, and I don't like. He was very, very good until he was very, very bad, and he kept throwing like just making mistake pitches, leaving balls hanging. Um, I think he left a change up, up like real, real, real up at the at the letters at one point that just got crushed for a bomb. A Clemson, Clemson hit more home runs Friday night than they had all season to that point. So I think they had played probably, ooh, I would guess they had played eight, eight or nine, eight to ten games uh, going into Friday night, and they had hit two home runs, and I think they hit three Friday night, three or four. Like it was just God duh. J- just hitting Wojcicki around, and then like Wojcicki gave up. Uh, is the first home run he gave up. He comes back, strikes out the next two guys, and I don't know, like what was going on. It's cold, a eh? so it being cold does have an effect on the pitcher. And I think, I mean, if you're if you're a Red Sox fan over the last two years, you've watched Chris Sale struggle to start because he's a warm weather guy, and when it's cold, it is it's hard to pitch. You don't throw the ball as far. The ball, the ball doesn't move as far uh, when it's cold out. So that probably a little to do with it. Um, and hey, I mean it's still early in the season, and Clemson's another level of competition than than Majinski's faced so far. It's like all of those factors, and the wind's blowing out pretty strong to to right Friday night. All of those are pretty strong factors into him not having his best outing. On the other hand, and but when he had his sinker going Friday night, it was nasty. No one could hit it, and like the pitch calling, I, I don't, I'm not sure what was going on, like. When you kind of find a pitch, when you watch a really good pitcher and they find a pitch on a day where – and Majinski, it's not like he didn't get hit at all until he gave up a home run. Like, he gave up a hit in the, in the first inning, gave up a hit in the second inning. Like, he was giving up hits here and there. When you find a pitch that you – like, that they cannot hit, they cannot see, they cannot figure it out, and the other stuff that you have is just not working for you, a lot of guys will just say – or I would say the majority of guys would just say, all right, we're going to double down on this. This is what's working for me today, yeah. and I'm going to throw this, and I'll use A or B, like my usual A or B or B or C pitches as like supplemental 
like when I when I can't throw, you know, a ninety four mile an hour sinker, like I'll throw, you know, a fastball out of the zone and maybe get them to chase or something. And we'll just throw this as much as we possibly can until I can get through six innings and maybe only give up two runs and get out of here and give my offense a chance to win this game um, and give the relievers a chance to, to get the save, but or to carry me through to the ninth and eventually get, get a save. But it's just like that didn't happen. And then Friday night immediately I'm watching I'm on Twitter. Uh, Gamecock fans are pissed off with Skylar Mead, who's the – uh, pitching coach now is, which is, um, I mean, pitching coaches now in college baseball, it, it ticks me off that you can't, nothing ever comes from the catcher anymore. That's what I was just about to ask you. Like, help the audience understand how that works from the pit, from yeah. choosing so, the pitch to how he gets to the catcher. Stuff it like used that. to be how it's always been and how it still is in major leagues. Catcher calls your game, right? He's your, he's your, well, I mean, it doesn't really translate to football because your head coach calls the plays, but your pitcher is calling what pitches and location. Yep. And that still happens in the MLB. Um, so, you know, you put on the classic one finger for a fastball and you want it high and right, like you'll give a single, you give a signal, you know, to, to tell your pitcher where you want this pitch. And it's always come from the catcher until I would say about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, you started to see where in college baseball that transition to the dugout. Um, and, the head coach or the pitching coach would call pitches and they would call them into the catcher and they would go from the catcher to the pitcher. How does he call it into the catcher? It's hand signals, whatever. Ah, uh, so the um, catcher's looking over there? But actually, I was watching the Northwestern game, the South Carolina Northwestern game last the weekend before this past weekend, so the end of the last series in February there, and their pitcher, uh, their Saturday pitcher, Northwestern's, was wearing – a full-on like quarterback sleeve, which oh. catchers usually wear. That if they'll get the call from the dugout or they set up their defense or whatever, like your catcher is kind of the quarterback or more so the middle linebacker of your of your uh, defense when you're in the field. He's calling the shots. Everyone's looking at him for for answers. Um, and their pitcher, Northwestern's pitcher, is wearing the sleeve, and the play the pitch calls are coming straight from the dugout to the pitcher, which I just. I, I hate it. I hate it because it's taking away the like how baseball kind of is and it's becoming like it's not necessarily like more analytics or against stats or whatever. Like those things still all happen. Like you're still teaching like you're still coaching up your catcher on analytics. Like they know, you know, they might not know everything the coach knows, but coach is still giving them every bit of information that they have to help them out. So you're not really losing a lot there. Like you should have confidence in your catcher. You can't, from the dugout, you cannot feel a pitcher like you can behind the plate. Catchers will tell you that time and time again, and pitchers will tell you that time and time again. Catchers know their pitchers like no one else in the world does. They know, they can tell by the look in their eye. They can tell by how far their elbow is dropping. They can tell by the position of their left toe, how they're feeling that night and what's working for them. And that feel of the game, you just cannot get from the dugout. Like, it does not matter if you have a catcher in the dugout looking out at your pitcher. It's not the same. So you lose that little bit of mojo or, or whatever it is. And, like, that's kind of like baseball is – I think that's the reason a lot of people like it. It's kind of, like, romantic in a way that, like, everything just – it's it's kind of a sense. Like, you don't you, – you just sense stuff. Like, all right, this guy, like, you know, I can see as soon as the ball gets off the bat, I know where that's going. Let me take two steps this way. Or this guy's a pole hitter. Let me take two steps this way, and just kind of 
get in the, is everything's kind of a feel in baseball. And you take a little bit of that feel out when it comes from the dugout instead of it becomes more science, less than art. When you take it from okay. behind the, behind the plate to the dugout, um, which is just kind of the way college baseball is going. And I, I don't know, like, I don't like it. I understand it. Uh, and I don't have some huge problem with it. I would just rather it come from the catcher. Uh, but like that just doesn't happen anymore. And anyway, but just got lit up Friday night. Didn't work out. South Carolina bounces about back Saturday. Eight five, with a win. Right? Yeah. Eight five at Seger park. Uh, highest attendance ever in the rivalries, um, existence. So the highest ever attendance at a Clemson versus South Carolina baseball game was at Seger park Saturday evening, um, Saturday afternoon. And I think it was somewhere. It wasn't quite 9,000. I don't think, I don't know. Um, and then I think it was a fourth or fifth highest in Seger Park history. So big time success having this game for the first time ever in Columbia that's not in South Carolina's home baseball stadium, uh, whether it had been the old Sarge Fry or now Founders Park. Um, yeah, so that was a big success. That's good. Good for fans. Like you want to see people like the fans going to something that they're trying different so that it works. Yeah. Um, and I like this new format of where we're switching neutral game from uh, Greenville back too. and forth between Greenville and, and Columbia. And I've a long time said that I wish it was in Charles played in Charleston. I hope someday it will get to be where it's, you know, Saturday in Charleston, but it's tough with Clemson's home stadium, or they just play the whole series in Charleston. Do you have a park specifically that you know of? In yeah, Charleston? Joe, Joe Riley, like where the Citadel plays and the River Dogs play. I mean, that's a beautiful ballpark. Um, I've seen South Carolina play down there plenty of times with against the Citadel in different uh, kind of preseason tournaments or whatnot. But yeah, it's it's one of the best places to see you know baseball. It, Charleston has a really good connection with baseball. I would love to see that rivalry go down there at some point, but it's tough with Clemson and travel because that's. That is a long drive for them. I think you're looking at probably five or six. Yeah, that's hours like that five point. hours, definitely. Yeah. And then uh, Carolina went on to lose on Sunday, with the final score of two to five. Yeah, botched so, it in Clemson on Sunday, and here starts the meltdown from fans. And I honestly, <laughs> honestly, like I said last week, I think the last two shows, I can't tell them to not melt down because you just lost to Northwestern. Northwestern is And now you you lost to Clemson who's not really looking to have the bet their best season ever either. Uh Clemson kind of struggled last year as well as South Carolina did. So something big and you were Clemson is always a good benchmark. But you were getting into now a very very tough conference schedule is what you're about to get and I think you got one or two more weekend series before you start the SEC. And you got to play Florida, you got to play Vandy, you know, you got to play LSU. You got to play a lot of really, really, really the nation's best baseball teams are all in the SEC, with the exclusion of a couple in, in the ACC, Virginia, Florida State, um, and a couple out west. But you're getting like you see what's coming for you if you're a South Carolina fan, and it's not looking good. And I'm not going to tell you to not melt down because at this point, just go ahead and do it. And and I would say hold your breath and wait for the first SEC series. And if that one you don't win that series, then you can just you can let it all out. Then I, I can't I can't say don't criticize uh, Kingston or you know any of the coaching staff when this is. I just sat here last week and told you how this is the this should be the premier program in the country, and there's no reason that it shouldn't be. If you want to be at a higher standard, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard, and that starts with the fans. 
in transitions to the university. Um, and I think a little bit of that has been lost in the last five years, not from the fans, but at the university level. And I don't know what the right fix is, but you better find it. And so I'm not going to tell the fans to not expect greatness and be pissed off when they don't get it because that's exactly what they should be with this baseball team. Football team is a little bit of a different story. You, you haven't had the success of the baseball program. Yeah, you. I was about to say, especially starting off the series, you know, losing one to seven at home, it's just kind of like, oh, boy, this is where it keeps going. Yep. You know, obviously, Friday night loss is huge in college baseball. I mean, that is your best starter going against their best starter. That is your That sets the tone for the next two, three, two days, well, the two days previous uh, after that that first game. And when you lose that one, it's tough. Yeah, I was about to say, then you don't have momentum going to the rest of the weekend. But You're right. Yeah, so well, I guess we'll move on to our next topic. Yeah, hold on. Let's talk about – so Ryan Olinsky spoke. The advantage of doing this, we're recording on Monday. Uh, the advantage of recording today is that Ryan Olinsky came out and talked to media a little bit today for the first time. Um, and the, the biggest takeaway, the biggest quote I saw from him was that someone asked him about the 4-8 and eight season – uh, and he says, you know, it won't happen again, which, I mean, I kind of jokingly said before we started the show, we mentioned that once he quote, it probably will. It'll probably happen in seven <laughs> or eight months. Yeah, but you need your starting quarterback, your face of your program Absolutely. to say that. Because Absolutely. it's like you can't have him be like, we're going to see. <laughs> but I guess I think a lot of other coaches probably like their guy to be like, say something along the lines, we're going to work hard, we're going to see what happens or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Olenski didn't say anything wrong. Yeah, um, He did say that, you know, uh, something about he, it, somewhere in there was the two words championship offense. Um, that's a big statement, but like you know, like we said, you got to believe in what he he has to believe in himself for you as a fan to believe in him, <laughs> or you as a teammate to believe in him, or you as a coach to believe in him. So I mean, he said the right things. And then, as I was telling you before the show, with him like being the quote-unquote face of the program, and he's a quarterback, it's kind of like, and he, now he finally has media access. He's going to probably kind of learn and mature and how to handle the media and stuff like this. So it was like he's just first go-around. Yeah, I think he's got a lot of experience with that already, just with the stuff that's happened with him outside of football. And he's talked a lot. His parents talked a lot uh, with, I mean, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, you name it, they've talked to him. Yeah. Um, but, like, I think that'll help him a little bit. And he is a charismatic kid. Like, he is just kind of who he is, and he doesn't mind talking to people. Uh, and he seems pretty candid. So we'll see how that progresses over the next couple of years with him talking to media. But, I mean, the biggest – there's not – I guess last week it's still – it's it's March now. It's March 2nd, March 3rd as you're listening to this. Like, you don't know what you're getting until the first weekend in August. So just – you can kind of put some clues together and make a guess, but you don't know until games happen. Um but I don't know. I would like to see Lenski and Bobo both talk more about their relationship. Yeah. Because I've heard that's been kind of strained already. Um, and that, that to me is interesting to see how you have a kid come in who's one of your biggest, like, namely recruits um, in a while. Like, you get a quarterback in California. Like, that's a big deal uh, no matter where you're at if you're on the East Coast. Yeah. You know, to get a kid to come this far. Uh, who is as talented as Linsky is uh, and was in high school. So to see if there's strain there already with Bobo and Helensky, that'll be interesting to watch 
going forward. Yeah, thinking about it, as a matter of fact, the fact that we've gone to South Carolina's gone to California and Clemson's gone to California to get quarterbacks, this is a rare time. You didn't really, for the longest, even see any guys come from no. California to come play on the East Coast. Nevertheless, you know, USC or Clemson or anywhere in the state of South yeah. Carolina. I so think that's got a little bit to do with the fact that UCLA's down, uh, Southern Cal's down. I mean, Cal, Berkeley will have a good year every, you know, once in seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, and they had a pretty good team of golf, but that's about it. Like, all of those California schools aren't doing well, so it's pretty much on the West Coast right now. Herm Edwards at Arizona State is one of the more attractive places to look in, in Oregon. Yeah. Um, and, and either school, when Michael Leach was there, Washington State, in Washington is always going to be a decent place to go. Uh, but even they've struggled, you know, this past year. Um, so I think those kind of – the factors of the schools out there weigh into getting recruits out here. And Clemson's recruited in California more than just quarterback. I mean, they've got guys all over the field. South Carolina does too. A lot of DBs um, from South Carolina over the last, oh, yeah, yeah. What's last the, few years have come from – What's the guy from Oakland? Um, Oakland, I don't know. I know uh, – No, he plays for the Oakland Raiders. Oh, plays for the Oakland Raiders. Cornerback. Uh, yes, you know who you're talking about. I know exactly who you're talking about. We'll, we'll get back to it. Give me a name. Um, but, yeah, so you're kind of seeing that transition. But to have Walensky come out and talk today and feel comfortable, I guess, is good. It's going to be a little different when he loses for the first time. <laughs> That's a talk. I'll be interested to see how he responds to that. Um, it's just – it's tough. We talked about this before the show, like how much of, you know, what these guys say you can believe uh, and I would rate it at about 30% yep. because they're just not going to give you anything, which is fair, but it's kind of, I mean, it gets tiresome. Like, and you keep putting everything, every bit of faith you have in a press conference or, you know, what some coach or player says, because they're never going to let how they feel leave that building. Yeah. It does not matter. You know, the circumstances, there's a point in them in the media only having 15 minutes before practice the other week, right? The first day, they get the first 15 minutes and then they got to leave. Like, duh, they're just going to have guys warm up. They're not going to show you anything. They don't want you to know. Yeah. And that, I mean, that just sucks, but they're not going to do it because no one else is going to do it. So you don't want to put your cards on the table and everyone's just standing there, standing there at you looking at your cards and they still got theirs not showing. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a weird it's a weird space. It's a hard balance. Two things. That good cornerback was Keyshawn Nixon. He's the one. Uh, that, Keyshawn Nixon. Yeah, Keyshawn Nixon. Excuse me. And then also, one thing, I think that's what a lot of people liked about Spurrier, including myself, is that you used to be able to go to the practices and everybody go and watch. And then it's He's not an like open book. Yeah, exactly. He didn't he, care. He would just beat you. <laughs> which, is, which is really nice, but I guess that was a lot more common then than what it is now. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so moving on to – we'll We're going to hit all three South Carolina major sports today. Um, men's sports, anyway. Basketball team loses loses, loses to Alabama Saturday. Ninety to eighty six. Any of it, but I mean, you just the only the biggest takeaway here is this: just put a bow on it. So you're looking at the NIT, um, <laughs> unless this team loses by two points in the SEC tournament final. So yeah, they it, lost it's pretty much done. Yeah, they lost that game with a final score of ninety to eighty six. Keyshawn Bryant uh, had twenty two points and thirteen rebounds. That's a double double. Um, the shot at the end was not to Frank's liking. I think he had a shot with like around six or seven. Not to – with a very short period of time left anyway. Um, Frank did not Frank did not appreciate that shot. He felt it was a bad shot being taken. But I'm looking at this and it's kind of confusing because it was a four-point game regardless. Anyway, in the press conference, Frank Martin was said the on-ball screen defense was terrible. And he said we had no chance. 
So with that being said, like you said, we're looking at the NIT at best and just another disappointing year for the Gamecocks. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because you go, what, seven of nine there for a stretch, and now you drop three out of the last four, and you're pretty much done. And you would be able to still make a recovery if you can't, if you don't fall out the gate, which they did. And that, like, small little losses where they should not lose and the, whatever the situation may be where they, they can't keep their focus they can't get momentum going early. X's and O's still aren't right. Like, if you're trying to figure your team out in December, like, from a coaching standpoint, criticize Frank for a minute, like, you're you're late. Yeah. Like, those things should be sorted out before the season starts. Um, and, like, it, it's just, if you see it year after year, it, it's going to be just, it's just hard to watch. Uh, but, whatever. I mean, if you're a South Carolina basketball fan, you just... At least you got the women. That's yeah. all you can say. Like they're they're doing just fine. They're gonna do their thing. Yeah. All right. We got a little. We got we got some interesting stories today as we get out of South Carolina stuff for a minute. Few few interesting things happen. One one kind of weird, and funny, but uh, in the world of college football, the Citadel announced Monday that they are going to use the XFL or some of the XFL's rules in their spring game. So they'll use the kickoff rule, which means the kick is from the 35-yard line, uh, and the coverage teams line up at the returner side's 35-yard line, five yards away from the return team, or the coverage team lines up five yards away from the return team. Neither team can move until the returner catches the ball. Uh, the PAT rule, there's no old, like, one-point field goal PAT. Uh, its offense has the option of running the play from the two-yard line five-yard line or the 10-yard line worth one, two, or three points, respectively. You can double pass, double forward pass. And there's a shootout-style OT, which means five rounds with each team getting one play to score from the five-yard line. Teams are tied after five rounds. They'll just keep going until somebody has more points at the end of the next round. It just turns into sudden death, basically. Speaking of the kickoff specifically, a lot of teams actually do a drill like that in practice to work that blocking scheme. It's like one guy lined up on this side, he's lined up on that side, and you don't have as much of a running start. You know, usually you have like a 20-yard running start that you're like five yards apart, and it really teaches the fundamentals. So I'm thinking they might do that specifically for filming purposes. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so now we get some film of how y'all like in almost like a game-type scenario, but I guess until the NCAA improve it, there'd be no reason really to implement that to your Practice is like full-time as if you're going to do that on game day. Yeah. See, all right, there's a few reasons I like this. Um, a, I, I don't really – I mean, I just – I'm not a big person into like the off-season watching over each sport. I'll enjoy whatever other sport is going on. Yeah. Um, Present in the moment. But this is – if you want to make your spring game interesting, like here's a way to grab some publicity. And it's perfect from a school. It would be more perfect for a school like South Carolina. Um, who's on the next level. But it's perfect for a school like the Citadel. Like, you just want some publicity. Maybe get your name out there. Maybe kids, you know, off somewhere who's never heard of you, who's thinking about going into a military-style school. Says, oh, all right, well, this is kind of cool. Like, now I can see them on ESPN play this weird thing. It's just some notoriety. Yeah. Uh, some some kind of publicity. Get your name out there. But it's, it's fun to make your spring game fun. I don't think that these rules are going to translate over into everyday college football. But if every spring football game was like this, I mean, why the hell not? It would be fun to watch. Something different. Like you said, and then you've been beating on each other all spring, and it's almost summer or whatever. You're just like, we're just trying to get through it at this point. So it's okay. This kind of sparks something a little bit. It makes the point system fun. Also, I'm going to say about that kickoff, 
if you can make it past that first level, it's a touchdown. Yeah, like, I was absolutely. sitting there looking at it. I was like, this is great and all, and I guess every hole is kind of filled because most of the time you have your guys run lanes on kickoffs. Yep. But, man, if you get if one guy gets blocked out of the way, you got uh, he'll spring for a touchdown easily. So. Yeah, it's like the easiest running drill of all time. Like, And I think – and I saw somewhere the other day the XFL the returns, like the actual number of returns versus like fair catches or whatever in the NFL is like – I don't know, like close to 50% greater. Okay. They're just running. They're returning the ball <laughs> way more, yeah. which is so much more exciting for football because like fair catch and stuff, you kind of take out – I mean, fair catch is for safety. But you take out like the exciting stuff in football that every friend likes to watch. And the NFL, instead of changing some rules and making it different so that you still keep that play in, They've taken to the point where we're not going to change anything else. Now you just put your hands up or you take a knee or whatever, and that's more taught to their guys, like take a fair catch, be safe, whatever. Um, and and they've extended, like in college football, you know, if you if you fair catch the ball with inside the 10, you get the ball to 25. They're trying to get rid of the, the kickoff return instead of create making a way to keep it like creating a way to keep it and i like how the xfl has done that like they realize this is one of the most explosive plays in football it's the reason we all love devin hester right so let's not take that out let's find a way to make that work and avoid full sprint collisions so line them up five yards across from each other and just have them hit each other from there yeah i mean it's it's pretty simple like you do have to think out about like this this is probably not an idea I would have thought of, but someone out there is thinking outside the box. Um, is like, why don't we just try this instead of just getting rid of this play to begin with? Because we all love this play. So I think that's very smart. I hope that eventually becomes part of college football, at least, um, where you can still have those types of guys. Because in college football, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys make their name off of returns. Um, and, a Sanders, particularly if you look at the University of South Carolina, A Sanders is more return, known for punt returns and kick returns than anything else here at the University of South Carolina. Yeah. So when you think about about A Sanders, you think about him returning that kick against Missouri, and, and like those types of things, you need to try to keep in the game. So whatever you have to do to change them, it's easy for the XFL because they don't have you know eight hundred years of history behind them, and they can just start off with say, hey, we're going to do it this way, and it's cool, and it's exciting. Come watch us. Versus college football, you know, you're going to have the old-timers who are not happy about how things are changing. But I think it's something to seriously consider Move, Look, when you look at going forward and trying to keep football fun and not losing all the things that we love about the game of football. Yeah, definitely. And also, uh, to speak that, you you usually see like a walk-on or something. I go down there and make the tackle on the kickoff. That's why I kind of special teams is a very important part of the game. Absolutely. The other next thing we want to get to, NCAA has proposed – so this NCAA Rules Committee has proposed a bunch of things uh, over the last, I don't know, day or two. Um, so I was reading Heather Dennis this morning. She writes college football for ESPN. I remember she um, was doing ACC on ESPN a long time ago. Yeah, she she is uh, – she's got quite – I don't – you this past year was the first time I've kind of seen her on TV in a while. Yeah, yeah. But she does very good on, on the web, ESPN.com. She's a pretty good Twitter follower too. Uh, so she says, she writes this article today. She's, she's talking about, uh, the NCAA proposal. So they propose one of them is a two minute instant replay limit. Um, this is what you get from Steve Shaw, the NCAA secretary rules and editor and national coordinator. That's one hell of a title. 
He's some kind of rules guy for the NCAA. That's all you need to know. If you get two minutes, it's time to wrap it up. Uh, Shaw said, if you're, <laughs> if you're at two minutes and you don't know the answer, it's time to let it stand and not continue to drag the process out. I cannot agree anymore. Like 10,000%. Yeah. Like it shouldn't take you five minutes to figure it out. There's a reason you have referees on the field in the first place and they have to be trained. Like, yeah, they get calls wrong. But if you're sitting in the replay review booth and it's taking you five minutes to figure out a play, why just trust the guy on the field Yeah. or just go with whatever he said. Like it's a default. Like, even if he's wrong, you can argue about it after the game versus taking 10 minutes out of the game, and it deflates the air on both sidelines. Like, no one has momentum. You completely change the game at certain points when you have that long a review. I mean, the only people that are happy are advertisers because they get more ad space. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much And networks would be happy because they get more advertising money from that. But, I mean, fans aren't happy. Fans in the stadium aren't happy because they're already unhappy with media timeouts to begin with. Uh, coaches aren't happy. Players aren't happy. Um, fans at home aren't happy. They're having to watch this. Co- and and the broadcasters in the booth half the time are not happy about it. You go back and listen to some of like even now, Chris Fowler will say it, but Brent Musburger especially used to get livid with yeah. guys taking 10 minutes for to, to call a replay. <laughs> I, I like to put 120 seconds on the clock. Like two minutes is a fair amount of time. If you can't figure it out, just call it, play it as it seems. Yeah, it offers some opposition. I'm sure the first time what's going to end up happening is the team's going to feel like they've been slighted, and because if the, because the fish didn't have more time, they're going to be like, we would have gotten that play. But like you said, it's, it's nice to keep the game going because, yeah, sometimes you do see those seven-minute replays. It's like y'all get back started, and it's like a mini halftime. It's like, okay, what are we going to yeah. do now? So Yeah, NFL halftime is only 12 minutes. I can guarantee you there have been – Plenty of replay reviews, especially in college football, that are almost the equivalent of an NFL halftime. Yeah, so which is crazy. So has this been approved? No, no, it's just a proposal. So let's see. I wrote the date down here. Uh, This and a couple other ones. Another one I'm about to talk about. They go into like actually discussing changing them April 16th. Okay. Uh, But yeah, it's on ESPN.com if you want to read it. Just I think you just type probably just type in NCAA proposes two minute instant replay. We'll try to retweet it on the Twitter. Yeah. and then they're also proposing that officials get to the field faster, like, before the game. So right now, officials have to be on the field, and they're on duty 60 minutes prior to kickoff. They're trying to push it to 90 minutes because of the amount of altercations that have gone on in the last year um, before college football started. I think there was something in the Belt Bowl this year. Who was playing? Virginia and somebody else. Um, a little back and forth, Kentucky or somebody. And... and they're trying to stop that, which is probably smart. Uh, you don't really need to have a fight before the game. The other thing as attached to that, they want players to be wearing a number while in pregame. So if there is an altercation, instead of trying to pick out, you know, whose face that is and this and that, they can say, all right, number 96, who's number 96 on the roster? Boom, he threw the punch. Like, you can't always see a guy's face when you don't have that many cameras on pregame. Like, you, you've got a few on, you're not, like, you know, if you can, it's a lot easier to see a number than a face. And that's probably pretty smart. Just throw them out there and warm up hoodie that's got their name on it. Yeah, or their say, number on it. Like, I, that exists a lot of places anyway. Yeah, so that shouldn't be to, too hard to change. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure in the Nike Under Armour, these come, that's nothing for them to do. Yeah. And I'm sure guys like player, Players like having their number, like, on a. Like customized. A, they might as well get your custom, last name on it, too. Yeah. So I think that'd be a good idea. The officials, I always thought it was kind of funny after the official game, after the game's over, the officials run to wherever they're going to. They get in that van, that all-white van, and get the heck up out of town or wherever they're going. Yep. I always thought that was pretty cool, especially like in some of these SEC environments whenever, especially like when they, if they made a bad car or something like that. 
Yeah, it, it's, I mean, I think it's like, those are probably two easy steps we can do to limit altercations before the game. Just, like, the pregame altercation is fun. You get a little hyped it. up because once you see it. it on Twitter, like, you're turning that game on. Yeah. Uh, so you're limiting a little bit of that, but, like, it's college football and you're not really losing that many viewers to begin with. Like, people are going to watch a game. Like, it might not be your game because I'll pick if Kentucky-Mississippi State has an altercation before the game and I was going to watch Arkansas-Florida. I'll probably throw in the Kentucky-Mississippi State game um, instead. But, like, I'm still going to be watching football. So that's, like, it's safe to go ahead and cut that down and throw numbers on guys. So when something like that does happen, you can look at the replay review, easily say, all right, number 95, like, he threw a punch. Like, let's let's just take him out of this game. Just, you know, it's it's easy for us to identify him. Um, Stanford head coach David Shaw threw this out there as well in this committee. So there's got to be something done about players faking injuries to slow the offense down. This has been a problem for a while. I remember when it first got started. I cannot remember the game. I want to say whenever Clemson played LSU back in 2012, people felt like LSU was just guys were just falling and something like that. And I remember when they had that was first, when they first started that yeah tempo offense at Clemson. Right? Exactly when Chad Morris came yep. in, and, I, and then I didn't realize what it was going to turn into. But nowadays, it's kind of like the uh, the fake falls in basketball. It's like flops, really yeah. yeah the flops. It's like okay, like dude, this is not in whenever and because we have so many fast tempo offenses now. It's like you're starting to see it all over on Saturday. Well, see, Saturday. at least in basketball, it's kind of part of the game where guys are trying to get calls. Like you're getting, you're trying to flop to like get a foul called or whatever. And the same thing with soccer. Like yeah. in football, it's deliberately to slow the other team down. Like yeah. there's, it's not going to help you out. Like it's no foul. Like it's not helping you out. Other, you were just trying to stop the other team, which should be like stopped. Like and I think we saw it this year in an Auburn game, and I cannot remember. I want to say it was Derek Brown. Um, Auburn's big inside lineman on their defense just was walking off the field. Like walk, <laughs> He's like walking back towards the linebacker to get the play call or whatever. And you see him look towards the sideline and you see like four coaches like throw hand signals out. And he, and he kind of looks at the linebacker, looks back at the coaches, like kid points back at the coaches and he just drops and like fakes an injury plain as day. Like he should be just suspend him for the rest of the game. Like <laughs> you're just, if you want, oh, if you wow. really want to put a stop to this, yeah, put it out. If you can, if you can reasonably see that they do it, like what are the a lot of the police laws where it's like if I have a reasonable doubt, I can search your car or whatever. Yeah, yeah. If you have a reasonable doubt as as an SEC official or whatever official, whatever conference you are, that it's a fake injury. So just suspend them for the game. I guarantee you it will stop. No, I 100%. It's kind of, that's kind of like the targeting thing. It's like you kick them out the game, and then a little bit from next week, it's like, oh, they'll stop that immediately. Exactly. That's, I was that's thinking, the thing. Like, if you I, want to stop it, put a harsh penalty out. I was it. thinking something along the lines of a penalty, but no. But It'll probably be you got to sit wanna, out for two plays. But if you do want to get it, um, if you want to get rid of it, start an opening weekend next season, go ahead and drop that. I'm sure every coach will take that out of their <laughs> yeah. thing. See, that's the thing is like, it, now, does the punishment really there, like, outweigh the crime? <laughs> probably. Like, you probably shouldn't, like, for faking an injury. And the player's taking signals from the coaches. But here's the thing is it's really only the players aren't making that decision on their own. That's calls coming from the sideline from some assistant coach down from the head coach or whatever. If you want to hurt the head coach, make him lose his player. Now, unfortunately, it hurts the player too. Yeah. But he's complicit in the in what's going on. Um, so if you're a player and you see that signal come in, you can say, oh, my bad, coach, I didn't see it. 
like you know you got stuff to think about you you're trying to get yourself right for the next level yeah like you don't even fake an injury losing a game that's a whole game of film you'll lose especially like, in a big game let me tell you something right there and, oh, but it's so funny like in the SEC that is like that's not like outrageous in the SEC that's giving like you know I can see that yeah. it's like the SEC it's like no get him out of here we're done with him that, yeah. that's ridiculous I mean I like I, I can't agree with David Shaw more because he's the whole point of it is you're deliberately like messing up the offensive game plan and the defense shouldn't have that kind of advantage over an offensive game plan. That's outside of the field of play. If you're going to stop an offense, stop them on the field. Don't stop them with, like, injury time, like, fake injury timeouts. That's that's BS. Like, that doesn't belong in the game. Like, that's not part of the game. Like, if you need to do something to eliminate that. And I don't think they're going to figure it out before this season starts. But the fact that the conversation is starting at a, uh, like, a, a logical, like, or an actual level, and it's really starting to, to form – is good for the future of football that something will come out of it. Yeah, the defense help that I saw they instilled was the thing whenever the offense substitutes the players, the the uh, head referee puts his hand on the football and they yep. have to allow for the defense player to be able to substitute as well. I, so, I like that rule a lot because if you're an offense guy, you shouldn't be able to sneak some sneak a receiver on the field without the defense being able to readjust. Yeah, I think I remember watching Jameis Winston. He tried to move the official out of the way, and the official was like, dude, you cannot do this. It's like yep. even if I move out of the way, you cannot like snap the ball. But they're – for some quarterbacks, that would work. For other quarterbacks, that would have been a penalty because usually you cannot touch the referee. Yeah, and it's just like those little things like that rule, the, the swap-off rule that didn't happen that long ago. Yeah. Um, like that that started with the new fast-paced offenses too. Like those little things will make the game better because you even – like even the playing field. Like you don't need to have an offense or defense or like whatever kind of like scumbag moves like just resulting in the – in the, ch- the game changing. So uh, I would like to eliminate that as well. But yeah, go read that article on ESPN.com. Some interesting things in there that they proposed. Uh, those among, I think, a couple more in there. Um, other thing is, did you see this kid from LSU uh, damage Death Valley? with no. the, with the Alright, so kid from LSU gets arrested I think last Thursday, Thursday before uh, and charged with simple burglary, criminal trespassing and unauthorized uh use of a vehicle so he breaks into death valley i guess him and his buddy and they they're redoing the field right so they're redoing the drainage or whatever so the grass isn't there or whatever um kids break in grab a kawasaki mule i guess which is part of the construction or the equipment crews or whatever and just go for a joyride around like the field end up caught they did it twice end up causing like eight thousand dollars worth of damage really yeah and they found the kid and they, they arrested him i I don't know if they're going to charge him. I don't know if they're going to kick him out of school. But, I mean, if it was anywhere else in the country, yeah, they should probably kick him out of school or charge him or something, like suspend him for a semester. But this is, I mean, it's LSU. Like, you should probably expect that. Like, yeah, what kind of foolishness? And then they go, like, it's one thing to, it's one thing to break into the stadium. It's one thing to go on a joyride. And it's another thing to damage stuff there. Like, you get some serious show for that, usually for the most yeah, part. Yeah, they're just, like, driving over. They're replacing the drainage system. And I, I would assume, like, you messed up some pipes or something. Yeah. And, and just kind of ruined the $8,000 worth of damage. Or the, the article I read was, like, thousands of dollars. And it was 8000 I was like, okay, when you said thousands, I was thinking, like, twenty grand. Yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't, like, that bad. And LSU right now can definitely afford that. <laughs> but... It's still, I mean, it's just really funny that this kid just breaks in twice. Yeah. Him and his buddy <laughs> hopping a Kawasaki mule. Also, who's leaving the keys and the mules? Yeah, I know. Like, to allow these kids to do that. Like, you shouldn't leave that opportunity. It didn't say, like, you know, um, 
hotwired the, the the mule to get it going. Like he was definitely just in there. Some old security guard just left it in, and then this is kind of what you come to expect. It's also it's it's Baton Rouge. Like things like this happen. Yeah, just, you should just come to expect it. Folks, do not try this at home. Yeah, I mean you got to give this kid a pass if you're LSU. I I don't. I mean. I'd love to take a joyride around Death Valley. That would be pretty pretty fun. I don't I'd rather do it like legally, maybe with Coach O in the passenger seat. Yeah, definitely. But either way, if you get the opportunity, I can't blame the kid for taking it. <laughs> um couple the one thing a couple baseball things we missed Friday I wanted to to mention real quickly. Uh Yankees, well, I guess he's he would be their number two guy. Luis Severino out for the year with Tommy John for I mean he's injured last year too. It's He's missing a whole year, which sucks for the Yankees. I'm quietly happy about it. Well, not really quietly. I'm happy about it because, I mean, I'm a Red Sox fan, and that's just another guy the Yankees don't get to use this year. I feel bad for Luis Severino, though, because uh, he's worked his butt off, and he's gotten to be a really, really good pitcher. Um, and, and I think, I mean, last year before the All-Star break, he was doing phenomenally, and he's just struggling right now injury-wise, which sucks to see a young guy who's doing really well in the game go through. Uh, but an injury that I'm completely happy about is John Carlos Stanton, Yankees big offseason acquisition two years ago. Out for out for a little while with a calf strain. I could not care less about that guy's feelings. Um I mean he stinks. Like, he's been terrible since the Yankees got him and they owe him I don't know, probably still over hundred and fifty million dollars. Don't it. don't care about him. I have no sympathy for him. I hate him as a fan. <laughs> I hate him as a Red Sox fan. It's crazy those baseball that guaranteed money. It's like yeah, so, still it's like something like that. So that, the other guy, I don't know. If, I don't think all baseball money is guaranteed, but yep. I don't think he has one. Does he have one of those mega deals? Uh, Stanton does. Severino doesn't. Okay, so it's like he has a Tommy John surgery. So he's gonna miss how many games in the year? He'll miss. He'll miss this whole year. He'll miss 162 games. He'll still get paid. And you gotta pay him that much money. Yep. That man, I feel like especially we'll talk about the CBA agreement with football. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that Friday. Friday, but. Uh, man, I've been some of those NFL players look at that, and it's like, man, these guys get hurt in this game. They're still getting paid. You get hurt in the NFL, you are probably getting cut unless you're yeah, one you're, of the top players in the thing, and still you might get something. But, I mean, at least, I mean, for Stanton will still get paid, which is good because I want the Yankees to have less money anyway. Um, Chris Sale also, he's he's out for a couple, two to three weeks to start the season for the Red Sox. But, I mean, he pitches like crap in the cold anyway, and it's going to be so cold in, in the first part of the season in Fenway anywhere. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Did we talk about? I can't remember. It's Friday. Did we talk about uh, Henry Ruggs running a four two seven at the compound? Henry Ruggs. I do not think so. <clears throat> I don't know. If we did, we'll start. We'll we'll talk about it again. Four two seven. That's amazing. Tied that, fifth fastest all time, I think. Yeah, dude is moving. But uh, it was interesting. Did you see the clips of him playing basketball too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot that came out too. Some yeah. guys are just born to be athletes. He is clearly one of those. Like he was dunking like better than when just probably I'm pretty. He's probably a pretty good player too. But sometimes he was like leaving almost like at the free throw line. Like this guy's amazing. But with that being said, Michael Irvin was going off on a rant. I think it was yesterday. And Shannon Sharp oh, kind of and Shannon Sharp kind of second to him. Like a lot of times, these real fast guys don't turn out to be the guys that end up with the gold jacket. No, I think all. <laughs> All of the other guys in that top five graphic that they threw out on uh, fastest forty times were all bust. Yeah, exactly. So, except for, I mean, John Ross is still a little early to know, but I think everyone else was just bust. Because they make a very good point. Like, if you can run fast, it's great. But running routes and stuff like that is all about control. So yep. it's like, can you control yourself to be able to cut off a dime? Because as Shannon says, because if you're running up right and you start chopping it down, the defense can jump the coverage. So, but hopefully, Henry Ruggs been a pretty good receiver in college. Hopefully, he yeah, continues good, on that path. Uh, is he projected to go first round? 
Uh, I don't know. I think I'll first some mock drafts stuff today, which we're about to talk about here in a second, uh, but not necessarily at Henry Ruggs. First Tony Romo, guy probably. You hear about Tony Romo? Seventeen million dollars. Seventeen million dollars. Possible if, ten years. If I'm Kirk Herbstreit, I'm getting on the phone today. If yeah, I'm Kirk oh, yeah, Herbie, yeah, yeah. Herbie I want my money me. because that is. I mean, the NFL is king, but Herbie like does everything. I don't know how much he gets paid, but it should. Seeing Tony Romo get seventeen million dollars in a Herbie should easily get getting fifteen or twenty. ESPN helped him out a lot though because they were kind of public with that thing like, okay, we want to give him this amount of money, or the fact that they were going to get they, they threw out like twenty mil, I think. Yes, and so with them doing that, it gave him a lot more leverage. So I was like, I didn't know how much he was going to sign seventeen million. That's for a couple of years ago. That's how much a quarterback would get. So Dude, that's insane. That is more than most NFL players. Yeah, at seventeen per year this isn't a, <laughs> this isn't a 17 million dollar contract paid out over 10 years yeah. this is 170 million dollars he's there for 10 years probably would, his contract will be worth more 70 million dollars more than john gruden's is yeah to coach the oakland raiders that's crazy if it ends up being 10 years i'm not sure the exact number All, of years that's not confirmed yet 17 million is offensive crazy. linemen backup linebackers and stuff like that the, the guy calling the game that's come down there to meet him for the game might go interview him on saturday night is making more money you Jim a Nance, more. i'm gonna be pissed yeah think about how much Jim Nance, <laughs> Jim Nance should be making if tony romo is worth 17 million dollars a year and i like tony i think he's interesting I know a lot of people hate him, but at least you feel one way or the other about him versus just being like on the fence. Yeah, whatever. Um, like Jim Nance should be making fifty a year. Like if if Tony, if Tony he's getting he's basically getting a million dollars a game. That's exactly what I was thinking. A million dollars game. He's got seventeen games a year. It's a million dollars. Or I mean, plus playoffs, so twenty. And think about how many get. That's like what half a year football season by half the year. What seventeen. Yeah, like football season altogether is before goes from what August. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you are talking about the number? Of, yeah, yeah, it's uh, five six months. Yeah. yeah. So half the year, got you for seventeen million. Good. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he does a couple things from the offseason, but nothing works seventeen million. That is when I saw that. Yeah, good for Tony though. And then Mike, you, know, you saw when Michael Thomas was like, he said he made the comments like that's more than a lot of guys make the NFL, but obviously those are two very completely different things. Yeah, like it's hard to. Like it's hard to. I get that point, but it's hard to. It's apples and oranges almost. Exactly. Good um, point. AJ Green getting franchise tag probably. Yeah, uh, he was not happy about that because he. Uh, had, I can't imagine he is. He has said before he wants a long term deal and let him go, but a lot he of yeah, because basically he didn't play this year just because he wants that. Yeah, but a lot of times this NFL is like you don't necessarily like. I heard somebody say it really well. It's like you're like. Uh, not debating, but whenever you're in a uh, negotiate, you're negotiating, mm-hmm. but that is the owner of the team. Like yeah, you can true. like you're negotiating this. The, all you can do as an athlete is kind of hold out your talents. But for the They'll most just part, they'll just go find someone else eventually. Yeah, because there's so many guys getting pumped out. That's what I was thinking about the whole uh, potential. How they saying they might have a holdout. It's like you might do that, but a lot of times there's somebody else that's willing to come do that because they're feeding their family. And it's the last thing I'm gonna say about this. Somebody brought up a very good point. It's like a, a lot of times we think about these guys that make this amount of money, but they have a lot of bills. That a lot of people don't think about. They have agent bills and stuff like that. Financial yeah. Oh, yeah. advisors. Paying, and stuff. Yeah, I would say probably twenty to thirty percent of their salary. They never see anyway, and, and that's get, after tax. Yeah, and you're getting tax per like. So let's say you go pay. Still in California. Hell of a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So it just depends on who you are. Yeah. All right. Uh, back to what I was gonna say. But the combine real quick. Isaiah Thomas crushed it this week. I saw you tweeting about that a little bit. All right, not Thomas, Simmons. Oh, yeah, um, Isaiah Simmons, 6'4", 238-pound, linebacker, Buckets Award winner. Ran a 4'3'9 at 6'4", 238. Man, was high jumping. And high jumping in 230. Uh, actually, he wasn't that big at that time. And then 39-inch vertical leap, 11-foot broad jump. He's a freaking nature, folks. Yeah, I think he, he probably went up like quite a bit of space on some mock drafts uh, today or yesterday as you're listening to this. 
Yeah, he he was he's one of the biggest stories out of the combine. I think yeah. he's probably the biggest player performance out of the combine. I was actually kind of well, I guess it was good for him to show how athletic he was. But you see a lot of guys, Chase Youngs and Joe Burrows, those guys aren't even participating. Yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't like we talked about that last week. Like uh, they don't really need to participate. Yeah, uh, Jalen Hurts says he still wants to be a quarterback. I mean, duh. Like, yeah. why do you even ask that question anymore? I don't get why in twenty twenty that's still a question. Like, would you play at a different position? If they yeah, you, like. Yeah, I mean the guy wants to play in the NFL, but obviously he wants to play quarterback for like what other answer you do you think you're gonna get from these guys? You're in a no, lot of like you're, I'm not gonna play in the NFL. Yeah, you hear a lot of people comparing him early on to like the uh, uh Taysom Hill. Yep. Taysom Hill, somewhere between there and the, obviously the Russell Wilson, but it's very early to project. Did you see that thing that some trainers are really kind of getting pissed with the NFL? Because because it's become like an, a TV event, the commercial breaks are getting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And they feel like that's preventing a lot of these athletes from excelling and, but in some cases, get injured more. Because it's like whenever you're going through this thing kind of quick pace, like it's supposed to be for the scouts. So like we're flying through this thing, okay, cool. But whenever you start resting and then trying to get back up and get going again, so that's why you'll probably see in the near future more and more trainers start to be like, okay, y'all go for the interviews, but we're not really going to participate because the pro day is more so, you know, yeah, you, they, yeah, they control it. The athlete controls it, you know, partner with the school, partner with their whoever's training them, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what we were talking about last week. When you're like, the combine isn't the combine anymore. It's, yeah. it's a TV event. So, um, Just like the draft. Oh, and Tanner Muse, uh, Clemson's, Clemson's safety brother yep. of Nick Muse that goes to South Carolina to play tight end. He ran a four four one, which is a lot Ooh. faster than what I was thinking. He had 20 reps on the bench press, too. So I think uh, the Clemson's going to have all the scouts at their pro day anyway, but I think some people are definitely taking a second look at him. Yeah, that'll be big. Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. He got a little love from the league block here in the fall, but he killed it as far as running backs go. I think he had the second fastest 40 time for a running back over a certain amount of weight. Like, Four three nine, right? Yeah, I, it just power and speed, like power and speed. His I, like Saquon is the comparable there, and it's really only Saquon because they're the only two guys to be that big and be that fast. I didn't expect that from him. I expected him to be like maybe a four it's five one, back, yeah, four five one guy maybe because you know just the, their style of offense there. But now he was definitely moving there. He probably definitely went up on some people's draft boards. Right along with him though, uh, so I retweeted or the Lee Block tweeted it the other day. Um, Rico Dowdle. Yeah, his his combine grade from whatever site, probably Pro Football Focus, second only to Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor in ninety five, Dowdle was in ninety two. They were in, they fell in the elite category. Yeah, and then it was every pick your running back from there on out. So Rico Dowdle also pretty big week at the combine in the eyes of scouts, which is really really good for him. He looked um, real smooth. When I saw him going through the drills, I was like, okay, he looks like he's ready for this. With him, I guess the whole thing just being injury-free. Can yeah. he stay healthy? Especially, Absolutely. That was, his, that was his problem here in South Carolina. Especially as a running back because of all positions, you're already taking all the hits already. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to stay healthy and we'll see what goes. Also, I thought Justin Jefferson had a heck of a day. He ran a four. He ran four four three. A lot of people think that – what was this, the, the, the Blendercoff Award winner? Can't think of it. Jamar Chase. Yep, Jamar a Chase. lot of people were thinking he's the guy, but Justin Jefferson showing that he can. I mean, I think he had what four, four touchdowns in the semifinal mm-hmm. or or SEC championship. Game yeah, yeah, four touchdowns first half in the uh, semifinal. So he might try to creep his way into the first, second, third round. Brendan just handed me his phone. I, I haven't seen this yet. So defensive line, defensive lineman uh, categories here, stats here. Uh, DJ Wanham, pretty good in, in in a lot of them. Ran a four seven three. That's second among defensive linemen. 
Um, let's see what we got. Vertical jump had the most at the highest vertical jump, 34 and a half inches. He's an inch and a half uh, better than the next guy. And in what distance and broad jump, he was second with 10 foot three inches. Yeah. So really big day for TJ Wanham as well. That leads me into what I was getting to with when I said we were talking about mock drafts a little bit. And we'll end on this. Javon Kinlaw. So I, I did a lot of little, uh, some, I got into some mock drafts this morning as I was preparing for the show. Uh, so from from Monday and a little bit last week, uh, some mock drafts I saw from around from around the NFL. I just got a list of NFL writers here in their mock drafts. Could not get McShay's or um, Mel Kuyper's yet. That theirs weren't out as of Monday when I saw them, or their updated post post uh, combine ones. Pete Prisco's got them ninth to the Jags. Ryan Wilson, CBS ninth to the Jags. Uh, Chris Trapasso of CBS fourteenth to the Bucks. Will Brinson, CBS, 16th to the Falcons. Uh, Josh Edwards, CBS, 19th to the Raiders, uh, which would mean if he's taken 19th to the Raiders, that would basically mean that the Raiders traded. He was part of the Khalil Mack trade. Okay. That, that's Their 19th pick is the is the Bears pick. They got rid of Khalil Mack for it. Uh, so the Bears or the Raiders trade away um, elite defensive talent in return for hopefully elite defensive talent. Uh, RJ White, um, another CBS guy, has got him going eighth to the Cardinals. Bleacher Report, Matt Miller, 16th to the Falcons. NFL.com, Daniel Jeremiah has got him going 16th to the Falcons. Uh, Sporting News, which is a subsidiary of DAZN, um, if you know what DAZN is, their guy, Vinny Iyer, I've never heard of this guy before, but for what it's worth, he's got him going ninth to the Jags. So what is the most popular ones in there? Ninth to the Jags. And 16th to the Falcons. Uh, however, you want to lay those picks out. So, Carolina fans, you know, kind of pick your poison there where you want to go. I like uh, out of those teams. I can see him fitting on that Jaguars defense. However, him on that defensive line in Atlanta with Grady Jarrett and Vic Beasley, I would like to see what that would look like as well. Yeah, I, I would say this something you can be assured of. What he, he'll more than I would say, ninety nine percent be going in the top twenty picks, yeah. um, and it looks about thirty to forty percent in the top ten. So I mean that that is huge. As of you think about the media coverage that Javon Kinlaw got this time a year ago versus right now, yeah, you you did not think we would be sitting here talking about a potential top ten pick. Yeah, and the thing is, he didn't even really work out at the combine. He just kind no, of he didn't do and anything. Talk. But yeah. this is like what Ray Lewis is saying. This is what your film comes to speak for itself. Absolutely. Obviously, he'll come here for the pro day, and and, and he did do a senior bowl where he excelled until his leg something. Yeah, he just didn't. He just didn't play. He had tendonitis in his knee, I think. Yeah, um, which could be expected whenever you're a massive human being, six six, three hundred ten pounds. I got the barbershop with him one day. He almost didn't fit in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> He's huge. Dude. I sit in front of him. I feel like a midget. Yeah. I mean, I'm average. I'm five ten. So, I, like, he just makes you feel small if you're a regular person. Did you see a post on Twitter? He had about him moving the hands. He had the I defensive did. Line coach. Yeah. Hands are registered weapons. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's had one heck of a of an off season so far. Um, God, you just mentioned something that made me want to mention something else, but I completely forgot about it. So whatever. Uh, we will we will end on on registered that. weapons. We'll end on that one. Yeah, we'll end on that, and then we will see you on what's today? Today is Tuesday. As yeah. you're listening to this, so we'll see you Friday. Get get the days confused sometimes. Um, but yeah, go make sure you're following the lead block on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, obviously on iTunes, 
rate us five stars, leave us a review, or don't rate us five stars. You don't think we're five stars. I mean, me and Matthew think we are. Yeah. So uh, leave us a review. We'll appreciate it. Um, and then make sure you're following us on Spotify so you can get notifications. We'll pop up on your stream whenever we drop new episodes. Uh, we will see you Friday. I think that's it. That's all we had to mention, right? That's all we got. All right. Oh, uh, thanks to Ben Sound for our music for the show. And any last words from you, Matthew? Uh, All right, we'll see you. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.